Welcome to the Modern Miss Mason podcast. I'm your host, Leah Bowden, and over here we learn from, celebrate and lean into the teachings of educator Charlotte Mason, whilst focusing on how they truly impact a 21st century expression of childhood, motherhood and education. Welcome back to the Modern Miss Mason podcast. I hope you've had a great week. I know I didn't even have a moment to record a Morning Coffee with Leah podcast this week. It's just been one of those weeks. I mean, nothing nothing to tell, nothing extraordinary, just full of family and driving and homeschooling and household stuff and... Um, you know me that those things come first, um, but you'll always get your Friday podcast, guys. This will this will come. And I have a really special one for you today. And I felt a little bit better about not hanging out for coffee this week because I have a real treat for you. And I am starting to record with guests again. So I have a whole list of people that I'm reaching out to who I've uh, spoken to over the past six months about coming on eventually when I do start recording again. And so I have two in the bag already and I am looking forward to getting these out. So we won't have an interview every single Friday. Um, I am going to spread them out a little bit, uh, but it will be content full on, um, on Friday. So today I am talking with my friend Bethany Dawson and Bethany and I go back um, some time uh, on the internet and isn't that many of our stories is that we met on uh, the squares of Instagram and she actually remembers me doing Facebook um, workshops and she said um, when she was a young homeschool mum she would lie in the bath and listen to me teaching on the Charlotte Mason philosophy which is so sweet um, and the amazing thing is is that we did connect now and again over uh, over the internet but last year, Bethany hosted, uh, this year actually, this April, not last year, this April, 2023, um, Bethany um, hosted in Northern Ireland where she lives, or where she lived up until very recently. She's now in Ireland, actually. Um, but she was in Northern Ireland and she hosted um, a gathering for the Modern Miss Mason book tour. And um, I spent a weekend, Dave and I went over to Northern Ireland, you may have remember from Instagram and me talking about it probably on the podcast. But we spent the weekend there, we had two events and um, Bethany hosted one in her home and it was such, such a wonderful time. Uh, loved getting time with her and Sam, uh, her husband, such a, a rich, deeply um, interesting uh, couple so hospitable, so kind. Um, yeah, just loved them. And I I knew I just, I need to not only get to know her more and connect with her and hopefully get to collaborate in the future, but I wanted to introduce her to you. I wanted to introduce her to, um, yeah, you guys who hang out here quite a lot and I think you hang out here because we're kind of into the same stuff. <laughs> so I think you'll love her too. So Bethany has um, three children. Bethany and Sam have three children and she has home educated them, um, I believe, for seven or eight years. And they are currently trying out a new thing, which is very exciting. And they are in a um, Sudbury School in Ireland and it's a democratic school situation. Um, which is fascinating. So she will tell us more about that on the podcast. Bethany is a writer. She is a foodie, but we didn't talk about that actually today, but she definitely is a foodie. Her and Sam, um, they eat some great stuff and grow it on their land and raise it on their land. Um, but we didn't even get a chance to talk about that. But do know that she is au fait with flower growing and flower drying and beekeeping and so many things. Uh, but today we talk about her 
We talk about her life. We talk about her writing life. We talk about rhythms and rituals. We talk about motherhood and practicing our craft amongst motherhood, being in that season of life. And um, it's a really rich conversation. I hope you love it. Please do click on the link in the podcast notes because you'll want to go and subscribe to her journals that she puts upon her blog once a month. It's a couple of pound, like worth every penny. I am a fully fledged paying subscriber because honestly, she's probably one of my favorite writers. So Modern Miss Mason um, listeners, I proudly present to you a conversation between myself and Bethany Dawson. Well, Bethany, it is such a treat to have you with us. Um, you and I know each other in real life, which is always a lovely, lovely thing in a conversation uh, mm. because I've sat in your dining room. I've had various meals and cups of tea. <laughs> um, but here we are on, on, on Zoom having a conversation. And thank you for saying yes. Thank you for coming on. That's lovely to be here. Thank you for asking. I do um, often share, and we will talk about this later, but I do often share your wonderful uh, monthly journals on Instagram. So now people get to hear about you and your life. And uh, so that that's great. Brings a bit of definition to my, my uh, clicking and sharing of your work. So as a way of an introduction, um, mm. help people get to know you a little bit. Can you give us an overview of how you typically spend your days at the moment? And you can involve anyone and anything in that. How do you typically spend your days right now? Well, right now, my days are evolving because we've just made a big move. So they typically at the moment involve waking up quite early I have a daughter who's a very early riser and in spite of her best efforts she always wakes me so about half six I'm up and I make coffee and my day always begins the same way which is with journaling so that's the first thing I do in a day I sit in bed with my coffee and I put some words down on the page and then at the moment I then get up and prepare school lunches, which is something that I have never done before. Yeah. So I'm getting into the flow of that, um, making sandwiches and the like. And then my three kids go to school, which is very new for us. It's a new sort of rhythm to get used to. And then I come home, make a cup of tea and I sit down at my desk and write. And um, the time that they're in school, I spend writing. Um, then sometimes I go for a swim, either we have a lake here at the house or at the sea, and then I pick them up, come home, and we spend time together. We read and we make snacks and we go for a walk and we cook dinner and, uh, yeah, then bedtime. I love that. I love that your whole day actually reflect, reflects a lot of what I would describe, how I would describe you. <laughs> so the writing and the swimming and the... Cooking. that's great and I and we're going to talk a bit more about what your children are doing right now and the big transition you've just made I do want to talk about that but before we get into what you do and um the many reasons why I wanted to bring you on to the podcast today I I would love to learn more about you um I love how Charlotte Mason's first principle which many of our listeners will know is that children are born persons and obviously children grow up to be adults and so the personhood of you and I I think is really important and as mm -hmm. adults as others as women I believe that as we focus on the individual it really reflects on our helps us understand more about why we do life the way we do yeah. it helps us understand um, why our family looks like it does and mm. um, so so I, how I'd like to to begin this how I'd like to find out a little bit more about you Bethany is is asking this question so can you connect the things that are important in your adult life in your present um, 
yeah, just ha- how, just like you described, even the, the how your days look. Can you connect your present life and your values back to your childhood? Do you see seeds of who you are today way back then? Although, you know, you are younger than me, so it wasn't that far, not that long ago. <laughs> Can you see that? And, yeah. you know, were maybe as a part two, were there influences that shaped you that kind of formed or or planted those seeds? Tell us a little bit about that. Mm. It's a beautiful question. I think that, yes, I think, you know, even from what I've said about the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is to put words down on paper. I think the the major sort of thread that I would connect between my present and my childhood would be words and and not not just writing words although that is definitely a very important value for me but just words in a I suppose in a on a grander scale than that um I'd say you know as a child reading was always really important to me and actually being read too um is probably where the love of reading began in terms of a seed and I have very clear memories of my mum reading to me as a little girl and and at key moments, you know, I remember doing my 11 plus and my mum reading The Hobbit and how our conversations would evolve in response to a lot of the metaphors in that. And, you know, that was very important. And so I think that that continues to be very important. The words of others that I have received as a gift in my life. Um, and even now, even as I'm sitting here, you know, I have, I, I typed out this, you know, Seamus Heaney quote um, to have like right here at my desk where I write. And I have more quotes there. I have books, books that I'm not reading, <laughs> yeah. but that, that I have beside me as company. And Absolutely. I think, this, you know, it's like the company of other deep thinkers and deep feelers that I need to surround myself with so that I feel a little bit less alone. Yes. And I think that that is what the gift of words has been to me and what I then like, you know, when I think about how writing is so important to me, I I want to give that gift to other people because the trying to put into words the things that I feel and the things that I believe and the things that I see and pay attention to in the world around me is then a core part of who I am and that I can also kind of um, trace back to my childhood. And I have, um, I started journaling when I was six years old. I have all of my journals since I was six years old. That has been a practice. Yeah, I know. And that's been a practice that has been so important to me because under that category of words also comes you know, emotional literacy, which is also a a very core value in our home, being able to identify emotions, articulate emotions, and whether that's just through conversation. And we spend a lot of time doing that in our family. And I think that as a child, my way of doing that was journaling. And it has been a tool that has served me so well all my life so that now the gift that I can give others is being able to hold a space for some of those more <clears throat> bittersweet emotions, you yeah. know, because bittersweet tendencies is sort of draw towards the melancholic sometimes. And, you know, just being able to kind of see that that words on a kind of a broader banner of that, how that has kind of facilitated conversation and space in my family and also then my my whole sort of reason for being the thing that I give my life to is then writing the written word Mm. so that that would definitely be a core value um for me do you want me to talk about more values (laughs) so my brain's like I'm like thinking of so many things I want to jump on there so let's 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 kind of tread water in this little moment uh, first of all, I'd want to um, say I totally get the printing words out, having books around you. I mean, you can see uh, for those listening on the podcast, um, 
I'm I've got a bookcase behind me and so is Bethany and um is that a bookcase yeah it is yeah and there are these are quite old vintage books behind me which the rest of the room is not so much but there's something comforting when I come in here mm. I don't even have to be kind of you know leafing through one I'd have to be reading but there's something isn't there about being amongst friends and again for our for our Charlotte Mason listeners uh she often was talked about uh in her in in memoriam somebody said how they loved the way charlotte mason referred to books as her friends and she would you know you kind of put them on your shelf together think that and i've got i've got poets sat together on my shelf behind me and i also will print out poems i mean i've got a um one here an emily dickinson one about the birds singing at dawn chorus right because i just like to have them around me so i completely relate to that <laughs> i love it so so let's linger in this idea of you journaling at six years old i love that you've still got got them i i have mine from my teens probably but not from as young as six so that is that is amazing how was that nurtured in you mm. how did that grow why didn't why wasn't that just some childhood thing but what was it that uh enabled that to to weave through your life what was that yeah i think i think a couple of things you know my parents consistently throughout my childhood and my adolescence encouraged me to do what i loved right and i was Nobody's trying to focus. Zoom. Um, that can you still hear? Yeah, yeah, all good. Um, that yes. So they encouraged me to do what I loved when I was young. I mean, my mum is a writer herself, and okay. uh, a teacher of English literature. So she highly values the written word, and so they they always encouraged that in me as a child I think as well for myself it's interesting because I uh, question everything and always have and yet the belief in myself as a writer or more so that that was the thing that I wanted to do with my life I have never questioned that and I, I don't really know wow. why but there's a way in which it's nature, you know, it's in me yeah. Yeah. that. And for as long as I can remember, if anybody asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always a writer. And I didn't even really know what that meant. I think when I was younger, but writing stories, putting words on paper, that was just what I always loved. Plus then my parents always encouraged me. And even when I went to university, I initially began a degree in, I think it was sociology and cultural studies or something like that. And I find myself, I was a student, I had no money, but I was in a library one day and I spent, I remember I spent 20 pounds on the Norton Anthology of English Literature just for fun and took it. And I was on the phone with my mom last night going, or that night saying to her, you know, I'm trying to write this essay in cultural studies, but all I want to do is read Milton. And she, you know, she said, you're doing the wrong degree and so then I switched my degree um and did English so I think that that has been massive just their support always to pursue the things that I love mm, I love that so I do want to ask you about what that looks like today uh or even how how that's been outworked but do you have another example um that you could talk to us about um, of a seed from childhood that you can see reflected in your life today? Yes. The other thing that I thought of was, um, I suppose like my, <laughs> I wasn't sure how to, what to call it, but my, my pioneering spirit. Mm. I think that, you know, I probably would have called it something different and my adolescence you know then it looked very much like rebellion <laughs> um, but I think what I'm learning as a sort of <clears throat> healthy adult is that I've always been drawn to the edges of things to sort of explore that territory and write about what I find there 
Um, but when I was a child, my parents always tell the story of going for family walks and I would never walk on the path beside them. I would always be halfway up the cliff or dangling from the tree or crawling the undergrowth or whatever. <laughs> I would never walk the path. So it was always in me to try and sort of forge my own path. And even, you know, as a teen then, when I was at school, I actually did my education out in Africa, in Zimbabwe, my sort of secondary education. And I started a school newspaper. I went to an all-girls private Christian school and I wanted to start a school newspaper. My mom really encouraged me to do that. But I called it Expose. <laughs> I like so, your hands. I know. <laughs> that was oh. Like jazz hands. <laughs> I know. Because my whole goal was to try and expose the things. I wanted to talk about the things people wow. didn't want to talk and write about the things people didn't want to write about. So, you know, I think and and now what that looks like now is is deciding to home educate my children when I come yeah. from, you know, a, a family of kind of mainstream educators and none of my friends were doing it and and yet wanting to kind of be true to myself and to that sort of thing that I felt like I should be doing and continue to sort of want to pioneer in lots of different ways within my family and encourage my children to do the same um so that's probably another seed I mean I could go on I could tell you yeah, many and more. I, I mean I and I and also they they're into interconnected aren't they so even in your pioneering involved a newspaper involved writing and I I just love that it all works together. So, well, let's jump into the writing aspect of your life, which is a huge part of your life. Um, why don't you share with us, um, I guess, maybe even since graduating university, how have you been able to outwork that and uh, for that to become um, a, a bigger part of your life? What does that look like from then and today? Mm, okay. So I graduated university with my English literature degree, but as part of my degree, I did a creative writing element and my tutors allowed me to do my thesis actually as a piece of my own creative writing, which hadn't been done at the university that I attended before. And so I did my thesis on an, as an, uh, like the beginning of a novel. Okay. At that so I started writing a novel as part of my undergraduate thesis. And when I finished my degree, I then went out to Zimbabwe on my own for five months to kind of complete writing that. And as was also just to figure out what you're saying, what does it look like to try and build a life with writing at its core? Um so then I went to do a master's of philosophy and creative writing at Trinity University down in Dublin. And that was probably one of the most foundational years of my writing life because it was an opportunity to have real input from actual published writers and to meet um, agents and publishers, yeah. be surrounded by a really creative and supportive writing community and that year I remember leaving a tutorial and walking home and going I can actually I can I can write I can actually write as in other people think I can write not just yeah. like I should write so it was very affirming and that through that year I then wrote <clears throat> I finished my the novel that I had started um, as an undergrad and I met my agent and I he wanted he then took me on at the end of that year to publish that novel yeah and I, I then got married and we moved out to South Africa for a year and during that year I realized that novel was not going to be published and it was right at the time of this sort of e economical crash and everything that happened with that and publishers just weren't taking on new work and my agent was trying to get the book published over in London and it became clear, and it's a long process, the whole yeah, track. so long. Long and horrendous, mostly. <clears throat> so I had to decide what I was going to do. Was I going to keep writing or was this, was this the kind of journey over? And that was a hard year, but I decided to start writing another novel. And I, it took a long time because I had to just get over that sense of failure so I wrote another novel during that year when we were in um, living out in South Africa. And then 
I, when we came back, sent it to my agent, but didn't have great hopes. We then started a family and then my book was published, um, which was incredibly exciting and a wonderful experience. And that book was called My Father's House. It's literary fiction. And um, I had a book launch. Uh, I had a baby and a book launch at the same time. <laughs> wow. Pregnant again with my daughter. And at that time, my I had a, a meeting with the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, the head of the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. And he said to me, whatever you do, just get back out there and write another book and get it published as soon as possible, just to write in the success of this one. And I had a baby in my belly and had a baby at home. And my husband was in the middle of his medical training, which was just completely full on. And I just knew that that wasn't going to be my story. I wasn't, right. that wasn't for me. And so I walked out of that just saying, okay, I've had this book published. That was great. But now I know I need to put this kind of on the back burner. And so, yes, that was, <laughs> that was 10 years ago. My daughter is yeah. uh, this week. And uh, I am only now writing my next novel. Yay. Yay. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, <clears throat> I f and there's so much in that, that you were, I, I think, what we hear from today and, and we both know the publishing world that and I guess over the past decade as well it has become so much about the crowd and the numbers and influencing and um, but actually what I want to celebrate and get back to is the craft and people who are like you enthusiastic about words and bringing people into story and that there isn't a rush to get the next one out that there isn't this urgency for marketing purposes and jumping on promotion that yes of course you were having babies and raising a family and we're going to talk about that um but I love that you have come back to it you mm. are returning to the seeds that were in you as a six-year-old you're now getting to sit at that desk again Oh, and I feel mm. quite emotional sort of saying that because I've I've seen your writing desk, you know, on this. Um and I and I do want people to capture the um the importance of that, that it's many, many people listening will see books being launched all the time, like next one, next one, next one, next one. But I guess a reason why we still look for these beautiful vintage stories, why people are still reading the Brontes and they're still reading Jane Austen is because they were the women that sat at the old wooden desks and wrote their heart out till the early hours because they had a passion for it, not because they had a crowd and they mm. were influencers. And yeah. where I'm reading Jane Eyre again with Sienna and, um, I'm just caught with that again, the words, the language, the incredible, uh, like, how did she write this story with such a small life, but yet her mind <laughs> and her creativity was captured by something so much bigger than herself that she had to put it down in words. So I love that you're returning to it. And I love that we're listening, that we're capturing this conversation in this moment when you're just beginning to say right a decade later here it go here we go um and as I guess as part of uh, just recently I don't know how long ago how was it six months ago tell us about upstream just while we're talking about your writing practice tell us about um getting your words out there again as you've been doing recently mm. yes I think upstream was my attempt to you know novel writing is is wonderful but it's a long process of kind of putting the work in um, and not connecting with any kind of readership. And then you have, I mean, you know this, you have this kind of little flurry of excitement when the book comes out and you have this opportunity to connect with readers and speak about the book. And it's like, I remember the my promoter at the time just saying, you've got a week, like one week. And that's it. One <laughs> How week. How crazy is that? And, and I mean, it's years. Novels are years in the yeah. writing. Yeah. This. So I think for me in my writing, I have always needed to have something on the side that is quite kind of creative and a bit more immediate. Yeah. Um, my sardo bread at the moment is, is, is something that I can get my hands into, but upstream yeah. is an opportunity to 
write some smaller pieces of sort of observation and um it allows me to do some of the other types of writing that I enjoy that don't necessarily fit within the kind of world of fiction. So right. I love writing. I love writing about spirituality. I love those things are also so important to me and I want to be able to put them into words and I want to build a readership for my work that isn't just connected to the fictional aspect, which where my real passion is but I have other things that I like to write about as well and so I enjoy the kind of I love reading essays kind of short form yeah I have lots of books of essays and I really enjoy that as a break from fiction and so I suppose I'm trying to do both so upstream comes out once a month at the beginning of the month and it's kind of anything between um one and a half to two thousand words so it's sort of much shorter form and I've really enjoyed that and I've really enjoyed being able to connect with people who enjoy the words and things like that so it's it's that it's been different it's been good I don't know how long I'll be able to keep it up as the novel writing becomes a little bit more intense but at the moment I've been really enjoying that yeah it's it is lovely I am a subscriber and um I am just um pulling one up now actually so I wanted to share a little bit because they are beautiful and I really look forward to them and I, I don't know if there's a certain day that they come out is there a certain day is it a shoot now when do you normally do them they normally come out on the fifth of every month okay so if the fifth doesn't land on a Saturday I always save it for Saturday morning because <laughs> I have I love I'm like you I love writing uh, reading essays and just short form writing and I have this kind of ritual on a Saturday morning where I, I get to linger in bed with a good coffee and sometimes a croissant and I like <laughs> read. <laughs> so I if you if you don't mind, I don't know if you how often you get your work read out to you, but I'd love to share just uh, there's one particular piece where you actually asked for my contribution just to it, which which is about rituals. Um, but I'd love people to hear a little bit um so this is called The Raspberry Room. And in a moment, Bethany as well will tell you how you can subscribe to her work. So um, let's, I'm just picking which bit. And there's a picture of you drinking coffee in bed. So, you know, we're like soul sisters, really. Um, so, okay. My son stands beneath my baby list. Head. Okay, I'm going to start from the front, from the beginning. This month, you'll find the stories of a few subscribers peppered among the texts in italics thank you to those who who let us peep behind the scenes of their lives my son stands beneath my babyless hair babyless hairdryer bracing himself he tries to catch my eye as i work my way through his curls i draw it out for as long as i can allowing his anticipation to build watching his body bristle and twitch do you remember that feeling when the responsible adult in your life broke from routine to do something playful or unexpected? He holds his laughter like a tightly coiled spring and I give nothing away. The eyes of his toy, uh, his toy blue tit bulge as he squeezes it until his knuckles blanch. He is the only one of the three who will let me dry his hair. I meet his eye in the mirror and he freezes. Quickly, I pull his pyjamas by the hem and twist the hairdryer in my hand like I'm drawing a pistol at the last minute. His t-shirt balloons, creating a belly full of hot air that escapes through the neck and blasts his fringe. His delight is exquisite. He is both relieved that I have remembered this little game of ours and desperate not to break its spell. I return to drying his hair and he reels himself in and I say, that's enough of that. Let's get this hair dried. He nods, scanning my face for trickery. I want to drink, dunk him beneath the bathwater, then dry his hair all night. Sorry, I didn't read that particularly great there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's uh, um, trying to look on a screen while I'm reading there. But this piece is about those little rituals in our lives that actually are the things that our children will remember but also for ourselves they bring so much comfort don't they and do you want to say a bit more about that particular piece because I'm sure if people subscribe they will be able to read that yes I think that often when we talk about rituals 
And so much of even kind of moving into home education and starting to think about how to curate your days, there's pressure to kind of have these big moments or yeah. the, you know, I and, and, and I suppose if you're on social media and you're seeing squares of other people's lives and there's a pressure, isn't there, to kind of curate your life in such a way that you, even, you know, even when it comes to, holidays Christmas Halloween you know that you should be doing it this way that you should have this thing that you do with your family and I think what I wanted to explore in that piece was just an opportunity to pay attention to your days as they are as they exist in their kind of natural flow and recognize that there are already rituals kind of implicit of our days you know sticking the hairdryer up your son's t-shirt when you're drying his hair like it doesn't seem like a thing but it is it is a connection it is an an opportunity to create ritual around something as drying your kid's hair and I think when when I started to see ritual in that way it was a lot easier for me to build meaningful practices into our day-to-day life that were sustainable Mm. rather than requiring you know 50 quid spent in an arts and crafts store or whatever it is something that is kind of beyond the reach you know all these things all these little things that I save on Instagram going oh I'd love to do that oh I'd love to do that but really you know unless they fit into an existing kind of culture within our family I'm unlikely to kind of stick at it or keep at it right so what I wanted more as a more as a way of encouraging people to look at what already exists the richness that already exists in our lives and then maybe build on that a little bit mm. rather than feeling like it's some sort of unobtainable thing and really we're not great at creating ritual I mean we have as a culture as a culture some rituals based around the key seasons or even I was thinking about birthdays, you know, birthday parties are often my least um, enjoyable experiences. And I'm I'm talking about birthday parties to which my children are invited yeah. because the culture and the kind of ritual that has been developed around them is kind of out of control in some ways, you know, that you have to rent a hall and you have to rent a bouncy castle and you right. have to, you know what I mean? It's just one example yeah. of way. Yeah rituals that really you know I have to step back and say are these consistent with my family values are the things that we enjoy doing together the connections and community we want to build I'm sorry that's maybe a little bit off-piste but I know it's great it's helpful (laughs) yeah yeah I agree yeah I think just slow slow rhythms that kind of honor the just the things that as a family you love doing when there's no one pointing a camera at you mm-hmm. the thing you're kind of doing behind the scenes already yeah um, you know maybe making a little bit more of those you know whenever we and I'm sure we'll get on to talk about this but whenever we started home educating the pressure to try and kind of fill our days with meaningful educational yes. activities was huge mm-hmm. and it wasn't until a friend said to me, well, you know, what what is it that you do in a day that you really enjoy? And at that time, it was just baking some scones and kind of calling everybody to the table and reading a book. And so, I mean, that was that was kind of maybe six months into our home education journey. At that point, I already had a hundred things I needed to throw out that I had developed in six months that were completely unsustainable and yeah. exhausting. And I had to just bring it all back to that. And really, in 10 years of home educating, it's the only thing. I mean, there were lots of other things that we did over the 10 years, but it's the only thing that consistently we did every day was just some nice food and cups of tea and a beautifully laid table and some beautiful poetry or books, you know. And so, and that's what it is for me, but it isn't what it is for somebody else. Somebody else might not do that naturally. Mm -hmm. and work so I think in that piece I talk about 
you know, rituals becoming for me, like the little hooks upon which I could hang all the stuff that I sort of threw out on the floor, all of the stuff that I chucked out of the suitcases because I was, you know, going against the the grain of what education was going to look like for my kids. And I started just finding little hooks, just little ones that I could hang things from our day on to kind of create a bit of rhythm and sustenance in our life yeah that's what rituals have become for us so I, I it was something of that that I was hoping to capture in that piece mm, I love that I think that there's something about um those little rituals that that cultivate contentment in in our lives and in our children and um I, I was I don't know if this was recently but I had a conversation once with my children my family because and and hear me in the right way when I say this but I'm not a I'm not a huge Christmas person like I don't get caught up in the hype I love my family coming together I love to cook and all that kind of stuff but I the hype of Christmas and the and the build-up and the consumerism I find it incredibly overwhelming as a quite sensitive person and so if people mention it too early I can even as I'm talking about it now I can feel I could feel myself like Oh, I'm, my body's saying she's talking about Christmas. <laughs> and I remember, so, <laughs> but in the moment, I love being with my family. I love, you know, make people feel special and, and celebrate. And, and you know, for all the reasons why we do Christmas. But I remember saying to, it was, a, I don't know if it was a, a one or two children and they kind of were questioning this, like, mom, what what is it about you and Christmas? And I just said, I really like normal life. I, I'm so content with normal life and how we have crafted our life and what we've intentionally made that I don't need, like I'm, I'm fine with festivals and, and a meal together and having these moments where you pause and remember, but when something seems to take three months of the year up and makes you spend all your money, like I am not down with that, but I, and it was this feeling of, I really like the everyday rhythms of our life. I'm so content in that, that I don't desperately need December or I don't desperately need, you know, what, whatever else, fill in the gap. So I think it's an important conversation and an important piece. And, and at the end of our conversation, we'll, we'll let people know how they can, um, mm. how they can do that. But um, let's talk about family. Let's talk about children. Let's, uh, let's talk about your educational journey. Um, mm. I know that you and I both agree um, that, you know, parents are primary educators of their children and that can look, and I think that's an important thing for people to hear because mm. our choices are informed in so many different ways out there and the way that that looks can look different in each season of a child's life. And it's changed so much for us and for my family, but, Tell me about your, uh, I've, wow, we've, we've, <laughs> hope you're okay for time, but tell me a little bit, give us a glimpse into your decision-making around how you educate your children. And I'd love to know about how it looks today. Mm. So um, I've got three children, uh, Finley, Edith and Jasper, and they're 11, 10 and seven. And so whenever uh, Finley was four, he started school. No, well, he actually started nursery school and I thought nothing of it. He's clever. He's smart. He's, you know, funny. I thought he'd be great. Went in, no problem to begin with, but then just wouldn't settle at all. Wasn't happy to be separated from me at that stage but uh, the teacher told me he would settle, he would settle, he would settle. And he just never settled. He wept every day going in. And so I took him out of nursery school early because he didn't need to be there and then started him in school thinking he was a little bit older, he would be fine. But he just wasn't. Um, and so at that time, I had no intention of home educating. I didn't know anything about home educating, but I knew one person who went to the same church that I went to at that time and I phoned her and met her had a clandestine appointment with her in a car <laughs> love that I didn't tell anybody I was just like what is this thing called home education what does it look like he said there we go um all of the questions <laughs> that I get asked 
And it was a really helpful conversation to, I suppose, just be able to say to her, what what do your days look like? And, you know, what would that look like for me? So when my son then started school and it went very badly, very quickly, which was helpful, it meant then that when I removed him from, from that kind of context, I had an alternative and at that time I had my youngest was a newborn he was only uh, three months old and so I was at home with the kids um, anyway but yes I started home educating in that context which right. was really hard um, because there was a certain amount of kind of those trauma for my son and for me because that whole experience of school yeah. going for very very painful and messy um but it was also hard because I was on my own most of the time my husband was still doing his medical training and I had a newborn so it was it was definitely challenging but that was then our kind of journey for um for 10 well from so sorry no for the last seven years and that's what we've been doing and it sort of evolved as a as a response to a difficult situation. But over time, I just became more and more excited about what it looked like to provide an alternative to um, kind of mainstream education. And at that time, I had the capacity and the creativity and the energy for that. And we, I must say, you know, spent seven very happy years. Um, we moved to a, a kind of small holding and it was, it was really, it was really beautiful, hard in lots of ways too, obviously. COVID mm. kind of happened in the middle of it all too. Um, but I think I was I was privileged in that I didn't have a career um that I had to leave in order to do that. Now yeah. I did have to put my writing on hold, which um was was massive for me. But at the time I was very lucky in that I was able to recognize that you know setting that aside didn't mean that I wasn't engaging in lots of creative practices along the way right. um and that my I would have plenty of time for that in the future um I didn't know how or what that would look like at the time but but yeah so um that was kind of our our sort of seven years of of raising the three kids outside of the school system and we we've had a lot of friends um along the way and we've tried lots of different sort of ways of making that work lots of clubs lots of things that they could get involved in and play dates and things like that and then um at the turn of this year we sort of felt, you know, my eldest um, was 11 and was his kind of needs were changing. And there was a bit more, I think, just a bit of discontent in our home that I was beginning to pay attention to. And 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 if I'm honest, um, exhaustion on yeah. my part, burnout, maybe yeah. I've been toying with that phrase over yeah. the last couple of months. Um, I just couldn't generate the energy that was required and I think it was more because I would be quite an introverted person the energy that was quite required as my children were getting older was a social energy mm. which that's that's not my strength in the I mean I'm, I can be a very social person but at the at the kind of level that they needed the amount of social interaction that they were craving yeah I was not able to provide that in the same way and so that was very hard for me to admit. And I don't think I would have been able to admit it fully had there not be some, been some alternatives. Um, so at that stage, we I had been following um, a Sudbury school in Sligo. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners will be familiar with that style of education. Um, but I had been following them, just getting their email newsletters. And it was one dreary day in January. I was lying in bed with the kids and with Sam, uh, my husband. And um, I got an email through saying that there was an open day. And I turned to him and said, you're not working. We could just, why don't we go? And it's uh, it's three hours. At that time, it was three hours from where we are, which may not sound that, that far, but because we were in Northern Ireland, this is the south of Ireland. It is actually a different country. And so um, I said, why don't we just go? What's the worst that can happen? We'll just go. We'll go to the open day. We'll just see what that's like. 
Um, but when, so we did that. And when we were walking around the school at one point, Sam just turned to me and just said, oh, this was a dangerous thing <laughs> to do. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> and so, yes, it's that some motion. And at that time it was very unsettling because we had kind of finally bought our house and settled down. We had never bought mm. a house before, but we had done that just the year before. And here we blow it up again, which felt wrong in many ways. And yet there was this core little thing in me that said, this is the thing. This is the thing. And so I'm I'm like totally honest. It has been a really tough year trying to make that happen. Um, We're here and we came. We've been here for a month, uh, five weeks now. Um, It uh, has taken a lot to get here all of the necessary logistical things the kids although they really like the school they they weren't keen um when it came to actually leaving our house they were scared of the change and so what was hard about it was knowing that it was going to be a good thing like really really knowing but also being scared of the knowing (laughs) knowing it was going to be the right thing but but and having to in some ways override my children who were then at that point saying they didn't want to do it because I knew yeah. that they were... oh it was can, so can hard. you um can you help people understand the the school like what the kind of school it is sure so uh, the Sudbury model of education I think um originates in America um, as far as I'm under I understand and it is as close to home education and to this sort of unschooling style of education that we would do um, in the context of a school. Um, the basic premise of it is that the children are free to direct their own learning and they are free to do whatever they want within the context of the school, as long as it doesn't infringe on the freedom or rights of the other children and so there's mixed age groups there's everything from five to I think the eldest student at the moment is 17 and um, they have this wonderfully equipped campus with all sorts of different spaces music rooms woodworking studios Um, there's a there's a computer suite there's a like a gymnastics thing there's a big field there's a library all of these different and the children pretty much go in and spend their days however they want so it is their they're responsible for their own education in the way that they were um, at home so school is a very uh, loose term although for the children it's been important that they call it school which I have right. found quite um so that we yes I think I think unless that had existed and it didn't it doesn't exist in the north of Ireland otherwise I would have probably considered it a lot sooner unless that had existed I I wouldn't have um I probably wouldn't have made the decision to stop home educating but um at the moment that has been but it's been a beautiful thing because I feel like you said at the beginning the responsibility of their education lies with well it lies with them fundamentally because yeah responsible for their own education but still it's a it's a beautiful partnership I feel like I've entered into with these one staff members who are incredibly inspiring adults and other inspiring children that the children can be part of that community but ultimately we still have a culture of of learning and exploration and support in the home you know, where we take the kind of nubs of the ideas that come up within that context and run with them as a family. So it's it's a good fit for us at the moment. I don't think it's a, a long-term solution. I don't know. I have no idea. Who knows, Leah? Watch Who knows? <laughs> so so how is everybody how how is the adjustment been? How is everyone doing? If I could ask that. Yeah, I actually can't believe how well they've adjusted. I'm I'm okay. I I feel like there's so many environments I could have put my children into and they would have floundered and they would not have managed. But this context is an ideal context for them because it's so similar in terms of its values to what we already had at home. So in Mm. many, they have just transitioned so smoothly from what this is to what that is because there's so many shared values so um, it's been amazing. They've just been tired. You know, that's probably been the only yeah. thing. 
they're just on the go all day. Um, so they come home and they just want to rest. But apart from that, it's been wonderful. I, for me, um, it's been really beautiful to have a space to write. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely hard for me to transition from what, um, what my life looked like before to what it looks like now. It's a mm. lot I like that and sometimes it makes me really sad <laughs> yeah and that and I guess you you know if you're five weeks in that's quite early days really isn't it and a transition is because there is some natural grieving from moving from one way of life looking to another even if the other thing is good I think we have to allow ourselves to to kind of grieve that stuff and it may return it may like you said who knows it, it, but still you you're allowed to feel it um, and I know, and it's it's like that when children start to leave the house. You know, when my eldest daughter moved away, you kind of okay. I'm allowed to feel sad. This is a change of my existing role as a mother. It looks different. Where there's a shift here, and yeah, I've shed some tears over that. <laughs> and and it's changing all the time for me with adult children and older teenagers coming through. So I understand that. And um, and. That I think also, Leah, this is where, you know, rituals become so important because yes. I think as a way of actually acknowledging those thresholds between one thing or another, you know, it, to try and build ritual gives a container almost for some mm. of the feelings. And so I have a good friend and we've just we facilitated a women's circle this past year. And I asked her if she would facilitate a ritual for me to allow me to pause at this junction and sort of reflect on the road that I have traveled until now and look ahead to my hopes for the future. Wow. And it was well, she came here and we went, we've got like a big hill up behind our house and she prepared this beautiful ritual that allowed space for that. And it's funny, I, I have found it really hard to cry because I do feel that sense of grief. And yet I sobbed through that ritual and it was genuinely was like she opened up a space that said, this is the space for this thing. And then I just poured myself into it and it was really very helpful to actually have work you know to have some words and she read some beautiful poetry about just taking stock of the road that I've traveled so far and yeah it was really beautiful to to actually mark that with ritual mm -hmm. you know powerful way of of doing that I find that very inspiring because <clears throat> and I do love that about you really because I my personality um, I, I do I am learning to to feel feel the feels cry if I need to but I'm very much I'm quite a futuristic person so I'm like what's next what's next what's next so I recognized my younger self is kind of move move on quickly it's mm -hmm. okay you'll be fine move on quickly but as I'm grown older um, as a mother and a woman I've recognized that's not always helpful because at some point it'll catch up with you and in varying ways, whether that's uh, health, health or emotional health, mental health, it catches up with you. Yeah. So I'm learning, especially at this stage where there are many transitions happening every year, something's changing to allow myself to do whatever that looks like. I mean, you've got that beautiful circle of women to be able to do that with. But whether it's for others, it may just be journaling. It could, it could be doing something planting something writing something um you know traveling somewhere having a moment where you actually say this is happening and I'm gonna mark this moment and um yeah I mean I feel like there could be a whole uh a whole other hour conversation <laughs> around that and I, my my brain is like my my everything is sort of firing off here but um I think it's a nice place to wrap up our conversation, to leave people lingering in that and thinking about, you know, maybe some of the questions people are uh, are coming up in their mind as we finish this conversation are, you know, do do we rush on? Do we move on too quickly? Um, most of my audience here are, are women and they'll all be at different stages of life. And I think that's a good a good 
you know, pause. Maybe it's time to consider the transitions a little bit more and actually allow ourselves to mark them. And also, I think it's important to say to people who are many of the audience will be home educators. And I think that the beginning of our, you know, conversation around that, we said um, parents are the primary educators of their children. Although, like we said, children are are themselves. They're they they are responsible for their education. We get to facilitate that. We get to be the uh, on the front row, as I say in in my book. Um, but that it's okay to make a change. Yes. Like if you are starting to feel like, like Bethany has said, like I'm just run out here. Like I'm, it's okay to feel like that. It's okay to, to feel the shift of a season. Uh, I've always said, you know, Dave and I always say, we're not anti-school. We're not mm. anti the system. I know many people might be at, but what that's not, I don't sit in this seat saying that. And I think it's an important thing to say at the end of our conversation as well. If you are feeling it's time for a shift, if you're starting to feel unsettled, then it's maybe time to, you know, ask some good questions, process that with somebody. And it might result in just a bit of a break. Yeah. I always say pause or pivot, you know, just pause. Uh, don't rush on. Try and push yourself through the feelings, but do something mm -hmm. about it. And it might mean a change or it might just mean a little break and you, mm -hmm. you try something different but it's okay to feel like that isn't it I think like you were saying you can look on social media we can see there's such a huge um influx of voices and opinions and images about home education that can be incredibly overwhelming and unrealistic yeah. and the fact of the matter is all we have is here and now today our homes, our families, our choices. And um, and it's okay if you're feeling unsettled. I think we can all do something about that. So thank you. Thank you for raising those questions in us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for setting an example of how we can make a change and, and do something with that. And I feel really privileged that we get to sit with you today as you begin this new season. And um. I feel like we're, I want you to know we're cheering you on as you, <laughs> as you write, as you transition, as you, um, you know, see, see this season unfold. I, I'm, I'm excited for you. And uh, need to know when you're going to come and visit and ride alongside me. <laughs> I know I'm coming. So for those of you who don't know, Bethany hosted uh, when she was back in her, um, and just so people know, in case they were hurting, uh, in case they felt it, you didn't actually sell the other house, did you? <laughs> no, didn't. <laughs> I know the small holding of dreams. No, it's still there. It's still there. And Dave and I got to visit, and Bethany hosted uh, the not one of the Northern Ireland legs of the Modern Miss Mason book tour, which was a dream and we are yeah we want to come and see where you are now absolutely so as we wrap up why could you just let people know how they can connect with you where you were you know where you hang out online and then let them little know how they can subscribe to um, upstream yes um so i have a website bethanyjoydawson.com uh, all of my journals are on there and uh, there is uh, there are a couple of places on there where you can pop your email in just to be notified when there are new journals and you can subscribe by clicking on the links to the journals and then there's an opportunity to set up a little sort of um, membership with your name and email address. And I have a discount code for any of you who would like to subscribe just to read some of the posts. Um, it's just Modern Miss Mason, all lower um, case. You can pop it in there in the little form for registering. And I also have my Instagram, which is accessible through the website as well. Um, so, yes, that's me for the moment. And amazing. Can wait another couple of years until the next book is out whenever it's ready <laughs> yeah and and so so if you if people click on the link in the details of the podcast or I will have a link in the bio on my Instagram as well when the podcast conversation goes live um you'll be able to find all that stuff but thank you for the discount that's great so people will get um a discount on the first month is that right right perfect 
Bethany, thank you. Thank you for sharing all you have today. And um, yeah, I hope people have really got a lot from this conversation. And uh, we wish you well as you continue your exciting adventure of a life. Thank you. And thank you as well, Leah. You know, among all of those kind of writers that I've had around me and books that have given me a sense of permission to follow my path yours your voice and your book are among them and you know I was trying to remember whenever I first started this kind of educational journey and somebody recommended Charlotte Mason to me um and I got some of her books and I found them quite difficult and then I found your you on Facebook at the time and I, I don't even know what it was that I listened to but I used to lie in the bath and listen to <laughs> listen to you uh, talking about education and there was something about your way of articulating it that was so accessible for this tired mummy of three who was just doing her best to create an education for her children um, so thank you for that your voice is so important in that and your book was so it's so beautiful if you haven't read it you need to read it listeners thank you <laughs> thank you Thank like you so much. Yeah, thank you for saying that. You're amazing. Thanks, Leah. Mm -hmm.